Well, good morning, y'all. Good to see all you guys. Now, that's a worship set right there. Man. Uh, if you're new here, uh, my name is John Wagler, and I'm part of this team, and uh, grateful that you are here. And, uh, you know, we, we had such a beautiful uh, time of practice this morning, just praying through and, you know, just thinking about people's stories and what it's like and singing that song is such a powerful moment and we really do believe in a God of miracles. We, you know, some of you all in this room have been praying for something for yourself, for a family member, um, a son, a daughter, uh, a healing, uh, you know, so many different things and uh, we believe in a God of miracles. We believe um, God's going to act and we believe um, having the faith in who God is and never stop believing in that. You know, even in the midst of where it feels like, oh, it's been so long. And it's like, ah, maybe he's just not done yet. And so that's just been the heart um, of the, the singing this morning. And so um, just been praying for you guys. And so hopefully this is a moment um, that we can all take in of what God can do, um, which is pretty powerful. Um, we're in this, uh, we have, this is the second to last week of this Revelation series uh, that we're in. And so if you're just hopping in uh, here this morning today, you, you'll be fine. Uh, and uh, we, we have covered a lot over these uh, previous um, 12 weeks together. This is week 13. And, uh, and so then we'll end uh, next week uh, with really talking about the end, like the kind of the, the glorious hope that we, we talk about and believe in. Um, but I just want to remind you of a couple of things here uh, when it comes to Revelation. Um, it was never about signs, okay? It was never uh, the, the book that was written, which is the last book in your Bible. Um, when we're trying to figure out, like, when is this all going to end? Jesus told us to not do that. Okay, um, how many of you guys grew up in an atmosphere or an environment where they had a lot of signs and they would say, like a war would happen and be like, see, this is like, this means this, right? And this means that. And Jesus literally told us not to do that. Okay, and, and not worry about the times and not worry about the signs. And, and Paul said it too. Okay, and so, uh, and so when we get into that kind of mind frame and, and mindset around some of this stuff, it's actually going against what the Bible, <laughs> what Jesus already taught us to do. And so I just wanted to have that as a reminder as we get into uh, some of the stuff today, because we're going to quickly go through three chapters today. I know what you're thinking. Last week, we said quickly too, and <laughs> it wasn't. But, uh, but I just want to have this reminder uh, for you guys, which is this. Um, Revelation is about patterns, not predictions. It's about patterns, not predictions. And so um, this is a really cool thing that happens in the Bible that sometimes that we can miss out on, uh, which is uh, these writers were so stinking brilliant. Um, and I mean, like, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And uh, one of the things that they did was they, they operated in patterns a lot. Uh, and so when you start reading your Bible, you can start seeing these once you become aware of them. And these patterns start coming out a, a lot. And uh, there's a few different ones that they use uh, throughout uh, the Bible. But uh, in particular, uh, there are, are a couple that kind of just, like, jump out at you once, once you see them. And so I'm going to give you... Um, uh, one of them that's pretty interesting that you'll kind of see, because we've covered one of these and you probably didn't realize the pattern was actually there. Um, but here's one of the patterns in Genesis chapter one. Uh, it, you have this, uh, it starts off in the creation story, so right in the beginning of your Bible. Uh, it starts off in, in one of the things that it says in the creation story is uh, that the spirit hovered over the waters. All right, so water becomes and the sea becomes this theme that gets woven into scripture. And, 
the spirit hovering over the waters is kind of talking to uh, a lot of different kinds of belief systems uh, at that time, in particular, uh, kind of Babylonian systems and Egyptian systems that would talk about the creation story, that there were these storm gods and everything that controlled and, uh, so much, and that the sea was chaotic and no one could actually tame the sea. Uh, but what the Bible says is like, oh, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And what it does in that, in that moment is it calms all the chaos um, and then also enables the ability for something to be created. Okay, so that's like a theme you start seeing in Genesis 1. In Genesis chapter 2 is a little bit different of a creation narrative, all right? It's still a creation narrative. It's just like a little different angle and perspective to it. And it's a different theme that's put into place. And it said at one point in Genesis 2, it says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, right? So it talks about uh, the God has this ability to subdue the earth and the things of the earth and controls the things of the earth. Um, and then through that, in his subduing of the earth, it, is, it has this ability to create, all right? So this is part of that creation process that we start to see in the life process, right? So that theme is right there, right, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So we've got water and we've got earth, basically, and sea and earth. And you start seeing that. And then, oh, when it's, when it's connected to uh, who God is, man, the ability to create life comes out of it, all right? Uh, you go to Genesis chapter 3. Things change. All right, Genesis chapter 3, um, we, uh, this, this other narrative starts coming into play, and there's this, this serpent that comes in. Now, this word for serpent um, that we've talked about here a couple different times is that word for serpent can mean dragon. Uh, it can mean, it can, it's associated with sea monster, uh, um, but there's, in the, or a snake. All right, so they're all kind of uh, intertwined together. Um, but what it's talked about um, in Genesis chapter 3 is it's a, a beast of the field, all right, a beast of the earth. And so that term beast is, is actually there. But what the serpent does is works in opposition to the things that God does, all right? Works in opposition to creation. So he's got this decreation element. And what the serpent brings in is chaos and deception and a decreation model. All right, so that theme is, is there in the first three chapters of the Bible. You, whether you saw that before, if you read it before, whatever, it, it's there in the Bible. Here's what the Bible then does from there in this pattern. It's just describing humanity in this pattern, all right, that we can tap into the things of life, we can tap into the creator God, we can tap into the beauty of who God is, or the reality of humanity that happens when decreation and chaos and deception, and we start believing lies. How many guys have uh, believed a lie about yourself before. Some of you guys are still struggling with that a lot now. You're believing these lies about yourself, and that's not from God. That's from who? Devil. Devil. Serpent, right? We, we've, we've talked about this several times. And so this theme is there. So if you go to the next book of the Bible in Exodus, um, in this pattern stays, um, you probably maybe never seen this before, but in Exodus chapter one, it's a retelling of the creation story. It's just in different words. And, uh, and then this, this idea of water comes into play when uh, Moses is put on the water and sent down the Nile. Um, now he's put in, do you guys remember what he's put in? A basket, right? He's put in a basket, which is the same word for ark, all right? And so that is tying into the Noah story, and so, which is a pretty cool element. But this pattern is there that's woven in. Um, and then what happens is there's this new dragon, this new serpent that, that's around by a guy named Pharaoh, all right? Uh, and he's the, the king of Egypt. And what happens is they enslave people. He causes chaos, and he decreates everything that God is trying to create in humanity. Um, and then these plagues are sent, and these plagues are like the opposite of the creation story. So all these patterns are woven in. But in the end, here's what start, you start seeing in the Bible. 
It's the pattern of humanity that what's set before us is this like, oh, we, what pattern are we tapping into? Do we understand, are we tapping into the, the thing that God has for us in life or the thing that the serpent brings with deception and chaos and a decreation mindset inside of us? Um, you guys remember the story of Jesus when he, uh, um, he was sleeping in the boat and the, remember the storm rage, right, rages on. Remember he comes out and he speaks to the wind in the skies. He speaks to the storms. And what do the storms do? They calm right down. What does that sound like? Genesis chapter one, right? When he, uh, the story when he's walking on water, the, the, the wording that's actually there is he's hovering over the water, which is Genesis chapter one, right? It's the pattern that they're trying to establish and get you to understand. There's this pattern in everything. Um, and then remember last week, do you guys remember we uh, talked about um, the Trinity and the Holy Trinity, right? So the Trinity for you guys is the Father, right? Who else? Son, and who else? Yeah, right? And this is all God, all one. The unholy Trinity that we talked about, if you guys remember, was this. The dragon, right? And then who else? The beast. Do you remember when he was the beast of the what? Do you guys remember? The beast of the sea. You remember beast number two? What was he the beast of? The earth. It's the same story. Like the, it's, the, it's the pattern that they put before us. And he's like, let me just show you the pattern in scripture. And so the, what the writers are doing is they're trying to get us to understand that, man, the story of humanity is cyclical. It runs the same pattern. And guess what? You have patterns in your own life that produce certain results in your life. And it's trying to get us to understand the patterns of humanity, the pattern of humanity, the pattern of humanity. And when we think about Revelation as it's only about signs and it's only about predictions and it's, it's like you miss out on what John is actually trying to like reveal to us in the process, this pattern of humanity that is actually uh, before us. And if we remember, um, what's the line that we're using? Stay grounded, the gospel works, right? Stay grounded, the gospel works. And so John's trying to get us to understand, hey, remember these patterns, Remember these patterns of humanity. Um, and here's what you can trust in Jesus. You can trust that Jesus loves you. You can trust that um, uh, this blessed assurance, right, that we have in this life. You can trust that he is more than able and that anything is possible. And so you can trust in all of these things. And if you stay grounded, this message of Jesus actually uh, works. And so um, we start seeing that, all right, this one revelations, these patterns, patterns, patterns. And, and what... Uh, in the end, what pattern, what pattern we're trying to see is that John's trying to get us to understand how do we begin to look and discern what the lies are and where the truth is? Like, how does this, this work? Um, what does it look like? And they always follow the same pattern. And so even when we see this kind of, we'll look at this on a little larger scale here today, um, but it's the same pattern all the time. Have you guys ever had, um, how many guys have had a repeated result in relationships that you've had in your life? Have you ever seen that right? And you're like, man, how am I here again? Why am I, why are we arguing about this again? Why, uh, why can't I, why do I date the same kind of person? Seems like I'm in the same, it's like, well, what is that? You're in this repeated cycle, this repeated pattern in your life. And it goes over and over and over again. And you got to figure out what is true and what is false where the deception is and the chaos is and like that's where the serpent is and that's where the lies are. This is the pattern. Where's the life in the real life because that's where you actually find uh, God. And so it's discovering this truth. Um, how many guys have seen uh, the newest Mission Impossible? And I, you, wow. 
I saw Baby Moore, but you should. It's actually like a pretty good movie. Um, and there's this line by Kittredge who's in there, and he says this about the movie. We were watching this the other night with the kids, and, and I was like, man, this is like, the, the storyline of the movie is too real, honestly. Like, you're watching it, and you're like, man, this is too real. So he says this line uh, at one point in time. He says, uh, your days of fighting for the so-called greater good are over. This is our chance to control truth. He's just describing the serpent. He's also describing social media. He's also describing AI. He's also describing like these things, right? The, the concepts of right and wrong for everyone for centuries to come. So he's like, this is what's before us. You're fighting to save an ideal that doesn't exist. It never did. You need to pick a side. And it's this powerful like message that's in there. Again, you guys should, should watch it. Um, like, first of all, it's crazy. Tom Cruise does all, all his own stunts at 60. Like, it's insane. Um, but, but also, like, the, 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 the storyline behind this is, like, incredible. Because you're like, oh, this is what we're living in. But it's also, like, it's revelation. Like, you're watching this movie. Like, this, is, this is just revelation. What John's doing, he's like trying to get us to understand um, what the lies are and that what the serpent's going to try and do. He's going to try and manipulate truth in your life all the time. He's going to try and make you believe this story about yourself that isn't actually true. But if you keep repeating the patterns, you'll start believing these lies are actually true in your life. And so uh, that's what John's trying to do over and over and over again. So here are some nice-to-knows um, before we kind of go through the passage here this morning. Some nice-to-knows. Um, Babylon, we talked a lot about this last week, so I'll give you a quick snapshot. Um, which Babylon, it, it was a place, uh, was an empire. Uh, it's also, also like an archetype where uh, it, it represents a motif or a theme throughout Scripture, right, from beginning to end. Um, Babylon is there. It's really about the rebellion against God and what it looks like in the rebellion against God, right? So that's a quick synopsis of last week. You might be thinking, you took 44 minutes to say that last week. Well, <laughs> get off my back. Um, so uh, there's eschatology. Uh, there's eschatology, which is this idea of um, how things end, all right? It's, it's how things end. And you might have grown up with different ways about how things end. Here's what we know as Christians. I really mean this. Uh, here's what we believe. Jesus died. He rose again. He's going to come back. That's kind of all we know. Like, he taught us some other things like, that are really good that we can know from his teachings, but like, that's really all we know. Anything else is like kind of speculation of how it all works, right? So we, we know those things. But so it's going to end in that way. Um, so that's part of eschatology is like, we all think about like how this thing ends. Uh, rapture. Uh, how many of you guys grew up with like this idea of the rapture? How many of you guys were freaked out by it growing up, right? You're like, man, I don't know. <laughs> like, am I going to get left behind? It's like you're sitting with someone, like you're in like a bad situation. Man, if the Lord comes right now, it's like, am I here? Am I gone? You know, all this other stuff. And, and um, the rapture is, is language that is associated with end times. Um, here's where I'm personally at. There's a lot of different opinions that around, around the rapture. Um, there's only one verse in the entire Bible about the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4. That's it. Um, some of the other passages that you put from aren't really about that. Um, but the, this idea of 1 Thessalonians 4 and the rapture, um, might we go in that way? I don't know, all right? But that passage, it's, it's kind of crazy to build a whole thought off of one verse in the Bible. And so um, that, the, the, the wording that's actually used there is this idea of a watchman who's sitting on a fence, who hears a trumpet from the king, who gathers people to uh, actually welcome the king in. So it's not actually like going anywhere. 
And so um, it's just food for thought with all of it. All right, so around the rapture. And again, so some of these things get like ingrained into our heads that we're like, maybe that's not even like really there um, in, in the way that we may have thought about it. Okay, and so that is a possibility. You might be thinking like, Wags, you're crazy. I'm going, I'm going just like I thought. And like, man, when he comes back, I'm going and I'm meeting him in the air, right? And that's fine. If, if that, listen, if that's true, like I'm there with you. So I'm like, all right, you were right. But like, there's like a, I don't think you're right. But like, there's like a, um, there's dispensationalism, all right? Which is uh, the, the thought where most of us in this room, if you grew up in end times discussions at all, um, if you said, I heard a rapture, you were part of the dispensationalism, all right? Which um, is a very modern view on how all of this ends, all right? In the scheme of Christianity. Uh, it's really focused on signs, on Israel, on different moments. And they're looking at scenes throughout history. And this sign means this. Uh, even like the Israel and Hamas war that's going on right now, like See, this is like, they're kind of pointing to something else, right? Mean, even though this has happened a bunch of times and they're always wrong. But it's what ends up happening in this thought, not that there isn't some good about that, um, about the dispensationalist thought, um, but primarily what it's focused on, uh, it became America-centric. It's heavily politicized. If, you have, if you've read the Left Behind books, that's all from dispensational thought, right? And um, there's a lot that's wrong in the, in the Left Behind books, um, some that's good, but there's a lot that's not good. Um, but this is from the late 1800s, all right? So you'd be hard-pressed to find much thought, like with Orthodox Christianity, that goes along with some of that thinking. Um, and so it's just kind of becoming aware of where some of this stuff came from. Uh, the last thing there is the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord. Uh, the Day of the Lord is another theme that's woven inside the Scripture, um, where it's this idea of judgment and God's intervention on things. And the day of the Lord can look like a lot of different things uh, throughout time. Um, and you read through the Bible, that even the phrase day of the Lord is in there several times when God like intervenes in some kind of way. Um, and that can be um, judgment and wrath or something like that, or the saving of people, but it's his intervention into things. Um, and what we believe as Christians is that someday there'll be a final day of the Lord. All right, uh, someday uh, we are all going to be held accountable for our lives and what we align our lives with. What that looks like, I don't know, y'all. Like, I don't. Uh, but I just know that someday we're going to be held accountable. And uh, to what we have lived our lives for and what we align our lives uh, with. Um, but this day of the Lord concept is in there. And in Revelation 16, 1, it says this. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go! pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on earth, right? And we see this, and we think to ourselves, yes, get after them, God, right? It's always them, right? And, uh, and so, but you realize that it's like, well, hold on, God's coming to actually, he's gonna judge all of us. And I know when we, when we hold us all accountable, and he's all coming into this. And, and again, this, this passage is really about the patterns of humanity and God intervenes. And, God, and it's complicated how God intervenes. Like sometimes we understand it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't know until we look back like years later, right? Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe God did, right? You don't understand it in the moment. It's like, man, that was a day of the Lord in my life. Um, but, uh, we see, but, but sometimes people get like really antsy about God judging. How many guys love that God judges? Right? Like, yeah, sign me up, right? And... Um, but we should actually want God to judge. It's actually a beautiful thing, and here's why. He can't be holy and just and righteous if he doesn't. If he doesn't take care of sin, 
if he doesn't hold people and systems responsible. And so that's a beautiful thing about who God is and his character. Does he understand our flaws? Yes. Does, is he gracious and merciful? Yes. We believe all those things. But man, we should want God to judge. We should want God because we're like, ah, I, want, I want to serve a holy and righteous and just God. I don't want to serve a God that I could convince that I'm good enough. Right? I want God to know my heart and, like, and see like, oh, man, Wags, you did your best, man. You were so good in some areas, some others. My, my Lord, I thought you have gotten better. But like, you know, but like, man, I saw you and who you are. And like, like that's the kind of God I want to serve and know. And I also want to serve the kind of God that looks at evil and justice in this world and says, guess what? I'm going to take care of this because it isn't right. And I want to protect my people. And so um, we should want that um, from God. And we see that, all right? That's part of the day of the Lord. All right, we all set up. You guys ready? Here we go. Let's go to um, Revelation 17. Um, and we're going to start here uh, because in this passage, um, we'll see um, what John is doing is he's making this bold proclamation to, uh, to Babylon uh, and to really who's talking about is Rome. In particular, he's talking about this person, uh, the goddess Roma, all right, who uh, was uh, the goddess of Rome and personified the state of Rome. All right, and, and what John is doing, he was trying to, he's like, I, wanna, I want you guys to remember the patterns of systems, remember the patterns of governments, remember the patterns of people and how this gets played out because it impacts you so, so greatly. And so he's like, I'm going to speak to, and he's going to aggressively speak to uh, the goddess uh, Roma. Um, she was, uh, again, she personified the state of Rome. Uh, she was known to represent law, order, life, peace, and stability. Um, that's kind of what the phrasing was around here. That should sound, it sounds a little bit like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Like there's some like commonalities to some of the language that we experience even in our own lives. And so John begins to speak into her. Watch how he talks about her. He says, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls and came to me said, do you guys remember what seven means? Completion, right? Completion. Uh, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute. (gasps) Hold on. Some phrases actually say the great whore. Like he uses like, like really intense language. Who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries, right? He continues on. He says, then the angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman uh, was dressed in purple and scarlet. That's how Roma was always dressed. And was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. It said Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And so John is coming in here and he's like, let me tell you a little bit of something about Rome. <laughs> you know who Rome is? You know who the empire is? You know who uh, every empire that's ever been is? You know, you know who they are? And this is like language that he's using, not me. Um, it is a whore dressed for business. And he's like, that's what we live in. That's what you live in. And this prostitute... Um, has a way to devour, to distract, to destroy. There's a pattern. There's a way. 
And the way that the system works and the way that our system works and the way that Rome's system works and the way that Russia's system works and China's system and Switzerland, yes, even Switzerland um, has a system. <laughs> the way the system works, it's going to try and devour truth. It's going to try and distract, create chaos, trying to move you away from actual life. And so what John's trying to do, he's coming in here so aggressively, he's like, let me just tell you about who she actually is. Because you have to be very aware of what you're dealing with and how it impacts uh, your own life. And he's like, you can live with it, but you, can, you have to learn how, what it means to interrupt the system. You could be in government, but you have to learn what it means to interrupt the system. You could be in the military, but you have to learn what it means to interrupt the system. You can be in business and on Wall Street and in finance, but you have to learn what it means to interrupt the system to live within the system that you have, to live within it, to be like, all right, what does it look like to faithfully serve God in the system that's trying to devour and destroy me? And the truth of what is there. You could do it, but you need to be aware. You need to be accountable. You have to remain hopeful for what's to come. And that's what you set your life uh, around. Uh, in Revelation chapter 18, he continues on. He says this, after I saw another angel coming down from heaven, he had great authority and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. And with a mighty voice he shouted, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Again, um, how many of you guys were like so petrified of Babylon the empire this week? Hmm, that's interesting. Rome, because well, I wonder what the Caesar is going to do, right? Because every empire falls. That is history. Babylon the Great, down goes Babylon. This is what happens to all the systems. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every uh, impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. Uh, for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the uh, earth grew rich from her excessive uh, luxuries. I want you to like, see what's being, what, what John is doing here. He's like, let me tell you something. Here's what you're going to start to notice about the ways of Babylon. It is a house for the demonic. It's a house for impure spirits. It's a house for those ways. Now, um, you guys might not care about this at all or whatever, but um, in the, in the uh, church world right now in particular, there is so much talk about the demonic in our country. The act of the demonic. And seeing it more and more and more and more present. And you read a passage like this and you're just kind of like, man, John already told us this is how it's going to work. And the patterns of what happens. And what, what, what's the pattern? You get distracted by the luxuries. You get dis distracted by, um, there's this kind of economic wave of things. You get distracted by uh, um, the ability and the leisure things of life, and you get distracted by all these things and, and these patterns that open up, and it's the same story over the history of humanity over and over and over again. If we don't learn from history, what, what, what do they say? We're doomed to what? Yeah. And it's like, man, over and over, it's the same pattern, the same pattern, the same pattern. It's like, and John's like, you need to be aware. Be accountable. Like, remain hopeful for what's coming, but, like, you've got to be aware of these patterns and how they work. And guess what? Like, for all of us, man, those, those little things, they, they chip away at us. They chip away. 
And, and we get there, and, and we're all susceptible to it. And John's like, I just want you to be aware. There's this other pattern that John talks about um, throughout Revelation that's pretty interesting. Um, he, he talks about uh, this pattern that we see that the religious, the political, it says religious, by the way, um, the political, um, and that could be like in power um, that are, and then economics. It's like almost this other unholy trinity that happens. That when the merger of these three things, it, when inevitably what will happen is when, um, when Christianity merges with political power and gets consumed by economic like, power as well, um, the message of Jesus gets corrupted and Christians get conquered. And so it doesn't mean you can't have wealth. I'm not saying that. But you have to be like very aware of what that means. It doesn't mean you can't be a CEO of a business. You have to be really aware of what that means um, and, and what that does for us. And again, you can map this out. If, if I had another like, hour or two, I would just map this out for you really easily of how that has transpired throughout Christianity in America. The merger of these things. John already warned us how this works. John's like, man, you, can, you, have to be, you have to be aware and accountable and like remain hopeful for what is coming, but you can interrupt the system, but you just have to be very, very aware of what it looks like. This is why Christian nationalism actually doesn't work. Like, it's not a thing that works. First of all, it's already been tried and like actually was the downfall of Rome in and of itself. Um, but it doesn't work because Jesus didn't set up the state. He set up the church. And he understands what happens. And so, um, and so the church is supposed to be something very different. The church isn't a political party. It's just not. So followers of Jesus shouldn't even be known by one. Uh, the church is a re- isn't a reflection of a country. It's a reflection of who Jesus is. The church is centered on Jesus, not some kind of cultural trend. The church is in tune with the issues of injustice. The church shows how persistent the love of Jesus is. Um, guess what? The government can't and won't do that. They never have and never will. The church is incredibly messy. Now, the government's also incredibly messy. But the church is incredibly messy. Why? You know why? Because all of us are. The church is set up to be a distinct opposition um, to the ways of Babylon. That's how we're, like, set up. That's how, like, when you read through what Jesus taught, you will quickly see that oh, this is, a, this is against how I was raised <laughs> or the ways of Babylon. And we've got to take it in. We've got to be aware and accountable because guess what? We'll stand before God someday. We'll become aware of what this means for us in our lives. And what are the ways we've been seduced by the luxuries of Babylon? What are the ways that we've treated this as like, man, I just get to do whatever I want to do because, man, I live in America. Like, what are the ways that our, our, our minds and our souls and our relationships have been uh, so uh, impacted by all of this? You know, in this room today, there are people who will vote Democrat coming up, people who vote Republican coming up, people who vote Independent, and people won't vote at all in this room. That's messy. That's the way a church is supposed to be, right? So why? Because none of that stuff is our centering point, Jesus is. And so that's what becomes like the, the, the precursor to all of this. Um, I love this quote that I saw um, recently. So this, perhaps what Christian church, uh, perhaps what the Christian church in the West today needs is more anger, not less. 
We may need revelation to jolt us out of our slumber, to open our eyes to see the idolatry and injustice that pervade globalization and empire today. Something beastly is at work, for example, in a world where people starve to death or die of preventable disease while nations spend billions on weapons and leisure. Again, it's the, it's the ways. Again, is it okay if you take a nice vacation? Yes. All right? But it's like understanding, understanding. It's like, man, what are the ways of Babylon have really impacted me? And how are they, how are they distorting my view of truth? And are they, um, like, if you're, uh, if the way you view your money um, it, you're, you're, it's really easy for you to spend a lot of money on vacation for leisure, but it's really hard for you to give. Guess what? You have been impacted by the beast. The dragon is controlling the thoughts on your, your finances. And so it's just got, we just got to understand it and be aware, because guess what? We're held accountable for it. Last one, Revelation 19. This is like a description of what begins uh, to happen. But this is important because a lot of times people view this passage, this part of the passage as like, yes, finally the bloody battle. Um, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And what John is doing is, and I'm not getting into all this stuff, but he's just doing patterns of what has happened in the Old Testament. It's all this language is, all right? He's like, with justice he judges and wages wars. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. I feel like you should read it that way. Um, I want you to remember the dipped in blood part. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, right? This is like an example of um, the descriptions of the martyrs of the faith throughout the entire book of Revelation were, were um, described as wearing, they've been clothed in white, um, clothed by the blood of the lamb. Even that thought is like, how can you be clothed in white and through the blood of the lamb, right? So even that doesn't even make sense. But um, it's like describing, oh, it's the blood of the lamb that cleanses everything. That's victory over everything. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treats the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh is this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if your mom told you not to get a tattoo, sure, that verse. Um, <laughs> and I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God. Something is switched in the language. It's like gathering for the feast and the celebration so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people free, uh, enslaved, great and small. Then I saw a beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The two of them were thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of his what? On the rider on the horse and all the birds that engorged themselves on their flesh, which is like, again, there's so much there, y'all. But here's what I want us to finish with. We think, and I just want you to understand how uh, the ways of Babylon can impact even how you view scripture. Um, was there an actual battle that happened there? Nope. There was no battle. There was no fighting. 
there was no violence. Where did, where did the sword come out of? What comes out of your mouth? Interesting. So he says it's by the words and the proclamation of who Jesus already is and what Jesus has already done actually defeats Babylon, defeats the weapons of evil. Um, uh, if you, when he came in, he was a robe dipped in what? He had already done the battle because he's already on the cross. The victory already happened. And so when we start believing these lies of Babylon that say violence will solve things, it impacts how we view even scripture. Like guess what, in the war of Israel and Hamas, does Israel have the right to defend themselves? Sure. Um, um, Are there tragedies in the midst of war? Absolutely. Will there be another Hamas type group that will rise up in years to come? Yes, you know why? Because violence doesn't work. When World War II happened, did anti-Semitism stop? No, it's actually the highest it's ever been since the Holocaust right now. And so, uh, are there times that war happens? Yes, like this is the reality of just life and government and everything else. But it's like, man, we start thinking through the, what lens are we thinking through all of this? So we're all impacted by it in different ways. But it's causing us to like stop and understand the patterns that are going on in our own life. Stop and begin to think, how have I been influenced by the ways of of Babylon? Have I been uh, seduced by its luxuries? uh, Have I somehow married myself to the ways of it? Because we will be held accountable for it. We'll be held held accountable for what we align our uh, lives with. when all you guys basically all said yes earlier to lies you believe about yourself sometimes. It's like, you don't have to wait for God um, to somehow get rid of evil to win that victory. Because Jesus already won it on the cross to tell you who you really are and what he really thinks of you. Jesus overcame the evil and deception Jesus overcame all the lies. Jesus overcame um, the ways that this world would try to devour you if, 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 if. You'll just pause for a second, become aware of the patterns that you have in your life. Be accountable to what you're aligning your life with and remain hopeful for what's to come and allow that to shape your life rather than the ways of Babylon. Again, I don't know how this is all gonna end. Um, Next week, we'll, we'll have this beautiful story about what it might look like. I don't know the ins and outs of any of, any of it, and uh, neither do you, and neither do the books that you read from Left Behind. Um, <laughs> here's what I do know. We will all be held accountable someday to what we align our lives with. One. Two. We all have patterns in our life that lead to life or death, and we need to be acutely aware of what those things are. Because one of them leads to the life in Christ, one of them leads to the serpent. And we have to remain so sensitive to this, to what it looks like. This is what Revelation is just trying to unearth inside of us. And so my prayer for us has been like, as we, even in particular as we're heading into election season, that we can just be like all the time, like, mm, that's Babylon, Babylon. Even at Thanksgiving, when someone starts popping off about politics, it'd be like, it's Babylon, my friend. I will not participate, right? 
Keep everything centered on Jesus. Here's a couple of things before I pray I want you to think about to do. Read through what Jesus taught and see where you are offended. Um, Just go through like Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Um, When you do that, it's like the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, There are going to be parts in there where you're going to be like, I don't like that. Um, All that is, is you're misaligned. And Jesus is like, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Come back. You're just misaligned. Um, And the second thing there is, uh, where do you recognize patterns in your life and what do they produce? So just take a minute, just like, what are the patterns in my life? What do I see in my relationships and my thought process? What are these patterns? What are they leading me to? Are they leading me to Babylon and the ways of the serpent? The ways of Christ. Let's pray. God, we are so... um, Thank you for such an enriching word that we have in Revelation that is difficult, that is, um, you know, there's so much going on in there, but repeatedly it says if we have ears to hear, we can hear it. And so, um, God, I believe today just, you know, through our singing and like the reality of of what it means to remain hopeful in in a God who's more than able when we get in that space where we doubt what you can do and um, we go more towards criticism and we stop believing in people and um, we're so cynical and all of that, man, that is the ways of the serpent. But God, you are more than able. We just need ears to hear. Ears to hear the, the ways that the serpent or dragon or whatever you want to call it is trying to deceive us, to lie to us to devour us. The beauty of this message is like, man, the battle has already been won. Stop acting like it was somehow lost or that the result is in question. God, I pray that we would actually enter into these scenarios that we have in life and as we discover patterns or we discover um, ways that, um, you know, we're misaligned, um, God, that we would begin to like process this in a way of saying like, all right, I know who you are. I know you win. I want to remain hopeful in that and that's what I'm going to orient and align my life with. God, there's also a reality that um, we will all stand before you someday and be held accountable. The ins and outs of that, we also don't know how that works, but there is this beauty of understanding your grace and your mercy and that you are just. And so, God, um, I just pray that we would all stay sensitive to that. Not one of us is perfect. We're all a work in progress. Um, But, God, that we would want to align our lives and our hearts with you. And we give this to you in your name. We pray everyone said. Amen. Um, Before you guys get out of here, uh, if you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you want to learn about how to serve here, which is the greatest way to connect and uh, um, get to know people, um, join the team sign. There'll be someone there that you can ask all your questions to. Um, This is the last day for our share offering. All right, so if you have not jumped in, this is the last day for our share offering. Um, What day is this for the share offering? Yes. So, Um, You can scan the code or the code in front of your seat. 
um, and uh, we'll announce the results uh, next week. Um, you guys, if you want prayer, there'll be people up here. Um, if you raised your hand wanting a miracle in your life or whatever, like come pray with people. Um, they're, they're here for you. Um, love you all so much. Have a great rest of your Sunday and an awesome Thanksgiving, and we'll see you guys next Sunday.